Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Fans, welcome to the Parastel Podcast on a Monday. We've got to talk some USC football. Trojans fall to two and two on the season with a disappointing loss to the Oregon State Beavers. It's a historic loss. First time Oregon State has come into the Coliseum and won since 1960. So we're going to talk about all of that with the coach Harvey Hyde. If you want to send us any kind of questions, comments for the show, we got a lot of them today. As you can imagine, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address. You can also call or text us at 424-254-9141. Leave us a brief voicemail. Send us a text. Try to leave one voicemail and, and let us know who it's for. If you leave four or five voicemails, we just can't. I can't get through them all, so I'm not probably not going to re- listen to any of them. So just leave one. That'd be great. And then uh, we'll you know mo- more than likely play it on the podcast. Uh, if you have the Apple Podcasting app, please follow and leave us a five-star rating and a review that always helps us uh, to grow the show. And it's been growing uh, during the season, a lot of interest in the coaching search. And of course, what's going on with the current football team. We have to talk about all of that with the coach Harvey Hyde, follow him on Twitter at coach Harvey Hyde, or go to his website for all of his content, harveyhyde.com coach. How you doing today? I'm always doing good, Brian. Somewhere in the world, uh, there's someone that's struggling more than I am. And, uh, you know, I got my booster shot, so I'm a little bit, a little, not under the weather, but sort of dragging a little bit. And uh, But I'm ready to go, buddy. I'm ready to play. I mean, you got a big heart, so that means I'm ready. Big heart, big, uh, yeah. With, with open, I forget what was that uh, from, oh, never mind. There was that movie quote, like, one mind, one heartbeat, or something like that. Whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, um, that was Ed Orgeron, yeah. yeah. One heart, one heartbeat. And then there was also the, like, uh, oh, man, there was the, the God, I can't even think of it right now. My brain is mush. I've been up but most of this weekend creating content from this game. It was a crazy game, like I said, historic loss uh, to Oregon State. So this was the first home game for interim head coach Dante Williams. Um, we'll get some thoughts. We have a lot of questions, so I'll try to get some quick thoughts from you first, Coach. What, you know, what were your initial reactions from uh, this game? Well, I don't know how much time you have, and I know we're going to get uh... – a lot of questions on this, but I think it goes back to the same old thing that uh, we have been, or I have been uh, saying over the last four or five years that the termites will get the program. And uh, when you have a lot of things that aren't really being done right, it's going to affect the program. And now all of a sudden, a lot of them are being exposed as far as behind the scenes. And we have always known the ones that we were able to follow and see and now the thing is, it's going to take a lot of time to correct all of these things. I don't know why they got in those type of situations to begin with. So uh, I think it needs immediate uh, uh, satisfaction for the fans and people as far as seeing headway, as far as things are going. And, you know, you saw a team come into the Coliseum that if you'd have changed the jerseys and put the Cardinal gold on them, that would have been what USC would be doing. And what... Uh, Jonathan Smith did. He brought a team in that executed, didn't make any mistakes, ran the football 51 times, threw the football 19 times, had four touchdown passes, 
and uh, dominated the football game, time of possession, the whole thing, and really made the Trojans with all four and five stars and with his all two and three stars, maybe a four star here and there, great players, been in a system that works. And then again, how many times have I been telling you how you're going to stop a team that does that when you never practice against it? So, you know, it just makes sense. I mean, time of possession, uh, USC never had the football. They had the football 10 more minutes than, than uh, USC, and uh, they just dominated the game in every area. And uh, it was more or less not a, just an embarrassing type of performance because they came into Southern California with their kids that USC didn't want or recruit in most cases, but great kids that were put into a system that fit their abilities, a quarterback that could operate the offense, could run a little bit without getting hurt, could do the things that are necessary to win in the Coliseum. And I've said it how many times, teams aren't afraid to come into the Coliseum anymore because every time a team beats USC in the Coliseum, it becomes easier as far as for other teams to believe they can too. But this was a unique win, as you mentioned how many years it's been. But the thing that's amazing about it is probably the greatest interview that Jonathan Smith could have had as far as if he wanted to apply or he wanted to, or if USC wanted to go after a guy that does what USC used to do. And imagine doing that with four and five star guys. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, he was able to do that with, uh, you know, two, three star guys and like, the whole thing is like, yeah, what it was at USC and you had better offensive linemen and better running backs and all that. And what could you do? But I think that was probably the, the ultimate insult, right? Coach that he did, he pushed you around the way USC used to push people around. And it was unfortunate, but to me, just looking at the way the Trojan players played coach, it just seemed like they were soft. It seemed like they gave up in this one and there was no question who the tougher team was. And it was Oregon state. Well, it's not that they gave up. It's they were frustrated. They'd never faced this type of team, a, a quarterback that goes under center and hands the ball off and play action passes. When did they ever see that? When did they ever see that in practice? You know, when you ask the offensive coordinator at USC uh, about uh, going under center, he says, oh, we don't do that here. Well, then the defense doesn't see that here. Or we don't do this, or we don't do, uh, we don't have tight ends on the line of scrimmage, or we don't do these different things. Well, how does the defense get any better? And uh, you know, it's uh, stubbornness, or it's uh, you know, I don't know. Like George Allen used to tell me an old statement: the worst enemy for a football team is the person that thinks he knows it doesn't know. And right now, in the situation, it's starting to show. The kids are the kids are playing hard. But what adjustments are being made to the kids? Are they being put in a position where they can be successful, both offensively and defensively? I mean, really, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, keep dwelling on a lot of this. So let's just move on. Yeah, I mean the the adjustment part. So you you felt like it looked like the the players were playing hard. It's more on the the coaching side where there wasn't a lot of adjustments being made. Well, it's because they don't know what they're doing on the defensive side of the football. They were confused, getting lined up on the wrong side, uh, playing man, and when the guys would go across the line of scrimmage, they'd run a drag behind it. Defensive backs were having to make the tackle on the second level. Defensive backs at USC are cover guys, and now they're all of a sudden having to tackle guys. 
defensive linemen are getting driven off of the line of scrimmage where linebackers can't scrape. I mean, you know, so that's why they were running up and down the field is no one could do what they were supposed to do because they didn't know how to face it or how to take care of it. And uh, defensive ends were getting kicked out and power plays. And, you know, it just, it's, uh, I, I don't know what to tell you, Brian. It's just that when you don't practice against something or, or know that you're going to face something like that, everybody becomes confused. Look at Coach Todd Orlando. I mean, I like the guy as far as all the spirit and everything and the, the energy he had. Did he look like he had that same energy this Saturday? Just tell me, did he have that same energy on the sideline? Because he just sort of more or less threw his hands up and said, what can I do? What are we doing? The ball is off the line of scrimmage. Everything else is, I can't play. So, you know, there's, it's a difficult situation when you face that. And the same thing on the offensive side of the football. It's the same old story. Rush for under, you know, under 100 yards again. And pretend like you're trying to be physical and you're not. And no adjustments whatsoever as far as with their offensive game plan. No counters. You saw, you saw. I mean, I hate to go over this. You saw Oregon State run the slot counter three or four times, and every time they ran it, they'd make 20 yards. But you don't see any of that out of USC. You don't see any bootlegs out of USC. You even see Oregon State's quarterback line up and run a power, run the football. Well, they don't do that at USC. They'd rather get him hurt in the in the pocket where he gets all this pressure, and they blame it all on the quarterback that he's not reading his progressions. Hey, you would be reading your progressions either when you're running for your life or thinking you're going to get stoned. So, you know, it's all the same old stuff. Yeah. The same old stuff. I think it's a good way to put it. Well, we do have a lot of questions. Why don't we, um, jump into some of these and I'll play the first one for you and we'll get your thoughts. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. I sincerely hope the players haven't mentally and psychologically checked out. I heard you guys say on Tunnel Vision that this is either going to go one of two ways and you don't want to blame the players because of all the bad decisions, but it's going to be up to the players. Hell, our players have been through a whole lot in the past month. Our players had to endure Hearing something from their fans in the uh, Stanford game, you know the chant that they did the whole fourth quarter? They're loving hometown fans. Nobody has ever heard anything like that. I'm 58 years old, and I've never heard anything like that. And then the next day, the coach was fired because Mike Bone was forced to after that Roman Coliseum bloodbath in the stands after the Stanford game. Then the coaches they had to have psychological meetings the whole day with the players. It's going to be a problem. They went through too much. They may not want to play. And play when it's not going to be for you fans. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Uh, real quick, uh, Curtis, I don't think they that Clayton was fired because the fans booed. I just don't think that's the case. Uh, yeah, but go ahead, Coach. What, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it was all part of the package. They were losing the crowd. They were losing everybody, the interest of it. You know, you take the Pac-12 this weekend, eight of their teams, eight of the teams of the 12 teams played 6.30 or later on national TV. 
Now, what type of exposure does that does that give the nation? You know, I mean, as far as the Pac-12 is concerned, you had Arizona, Oregon, USC, you had uh, well, some other team, Arizona State. I mean, you had all these games going on uh, late at night. You get no exposure. Maybe it's it's good that you're not nationally, where people can see that type of of football. But the face of the Pac-12, obviously, is that of USC and people are, are upset because of they they are the face of USC. It started a long time ago. This didn't start all of a sudden. This started way back, okay, when the hiring and all of this took place. It started way back with the sanctions. It took started way back when it started to what do you want to say, the termites started eating the building when when uh some of the top players and people that are alumni players at USC were embarrassed to come around the program and no one noticed that. And people that were part of the program for many, many years in in certain positions as far as announcers in the Coliseum that worked for years, such as Dennis Packard, was let go. Like Todd Hewitt, the equipment guy, was let go. I mean traditional people that bleed Cardinal and Gold and they bring in somebody that bleeds uh some other color and the, you lose the traditions of what USC is all about, but they've never been at USC. In fact, before they come to USC, they probably hated USC because they used to get beat so up, beat up so bad by USC. So, you know, it's the university's fault as much as it is Clay Helton or anybody else. Clay Helton got out of it with, uh, uh, with uh, a lot of money. And then another thing that bothers me, is some of the media people, big time media people, that beat up on Clay Held now when the body let the body get cold first, okay? The body isn't even cold and they're beating up and telling what he did wrong and behind the scenes and this and that. Where were they during the period of time this was going on? Where were they then? Or where was the athletic director then? Or anybody else he does he doesn't know football enough to know these things are going on behind the scenes? I mean, think about it. Uh, for a while. I mean, uh, this isn't a big surprise to anybody, is it? It isn't to me. We talk about it on the podcast all the time. It's just a matter of time that somebody had to stand up and do something on a situation. And now all of a sudden, all these other things are starting to surface as far as what was happening behind the scenes. You know, well, you know, there's a reason why a program looks like it does because of all the other things that are happening. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, I'll be, I'm not going to point fingers, but there's a lot of reasons that Coach Clay Helton got fired. It wasn't just his fault. Yeah. Uh, we got an email from Giles Miles. Hey, Ryan, what are your thoughts on USC approaching BYU's Kalani Sataki? West Coast guy, knows the recruiting scene, has been assistant in the Pac-12 programs, and seems to run a tight ship based on toughness and discipline play. Uh, Giles Miles, what do you think? I He's uh, he's doing a really good job right now at BYU. This was a team that lost a lot of players from last year and is doing well. What, any thoughts on Kalani Sataki, coach? Well, I tell you what, he's done a good job last year and this year. He had some lean years. He almost lost his job a couple of years ago because he wasn't winning enough. He'll be interviewing for the job the final game of the year when they play USC in the Coliseum. So I think you got to wait and see what happens there. But, uh, you know, I think he's got it made where he is. I think he's got it made. He's got it going on. I'm sure he's making good money. And, uh, you know, to uh, you've got to have someone tell you, here's the keys to the car. The next coach is coming to USC. Here's, here's the keys to the car. 
and no one else has these keys. You do. You drive this car. You do what's necessary. You say what in the structure of the rules. You can hire and fire or get rid of every single person on this whole football planet, and then it's your program. And, uh, you know, uh, you, are you gonna, is, is the university willing to do that? I, I mean, I'm not sure if Mike Bone hired uh, Graham Harold and Todd Orlando. I'm not sure who hired those guys. Or was it Clay Helton that hired those guys? You've got, uh, t- I don't know, 15, 20 players, whatever there is on the team from Texas. Is that necessary? I mean, what's wrong with the talent around here and other places? Look at the rankings. Look at the players around the country. Why all of these portal players coming out of Texas? Because the majority of your staff is out of Texas. Now, does that make everybody happy in Southern California? I mean, as far as their players going somewhere else and all the Texas players coming in, and why are they coming here? How many of them are playing? Are they coming here because of the videos they had at this big mansion barbecuing up there and shooting videos? Are they coming to be Hollywood? Or are they coming to be football players? I mean, now, don't get me going in all this, but you know, Ryan, all these things went on. All these things go on as far as uh, the recruiting and the social media that's been going. That's all part of the thing, too. You can go on and on and on. Uh, well, we probably will because we got more questions. Um, here's another voicemail for you, Coach. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Coach Hyde. How are you? It's Don from Chicago. Um, I just watched uh, the instant analysis, and I saw a shotgun talking and I'm, I mean is the guy on drugs or something he's saying we need to clean up a few things and we're gonna we're gonna go to the Rose Bowl I mean what is he what is he talking about I mean coach Hyde are there any answers here beyond the fact of just absolutely cleaning house this was the second blowout loss at home I don't recall in my lifetime USC ever getting to this level of absolute mediocrity. It's a joke if it wasn't so tragic. So, Coach, do you have any answers? I'm following your lead at this point. Please, please uh, tell me what USC can do at this point to even salvage what is obviously going to be another disastrous season. Thanks so much, Ryan, for all you do. Thanks, Coach. Don from Chicago. Real quick, uh, Don, I don't think Shotgun said anything like that. So I'm not sure where like that. he didn't say they're a couple plays away from the Rose Bowl. Um, but whatever. Okay, but go on, Coach. What do you think? Well, uh, I don't know about the Rose Bowl right now. I tried to just win our next game, okay, if you're a USC fan and count them up at the end of the year. But I think basically if I was the administrator, I'd say let's just finish this season, get it done, start on what we have to do. Support the kids. Uh, make sure that we do the best job we can with what we have. And uh, Coach Dante Williams is, you know, he's instilled some of the things that are necessary. I can see it during the games, and I can see little things he's let go too after saying that he was going to enforce. So I'm just waiting to see exactly how that goes. And I think that's important to be at meetings on time and all of these different things. I think it's. Part of the discipline kids like, I, I've always said, kids like discipline. Just tell me the rules. Tell me the rules and enforce them. I used to say, don't have too many rules. 
because you're going to have to enforce those rules. So if you have a lot of rules, a lot of them, then get ready because you're going to be enforcing them, believe me, when you have 110 kids. So enforce the ones that are important and get it done and start to make headway because I'm I'm sure that the next staff will be told, the head coach, that Coach Dante Williams will probably remain as far as a part of the staff. He's a He's a great recruiter, and he coaches up well and well thought of here in Southern California. So as far as he is concerned, if I was him, I would just try to get through this season, try to take care of things. And you asked me about cleaning house. You heard me mention it a while ago. Yes, you got a clean house. Got a clean house. It's just like having surgery. If you don't get it all, it's liable to come back. So I don't want to use that term. But you guys have heard me talk this way. There's got to be changes made in all areas. I'm talking about all areas. It even could be, I don't want to get into it. But you've got to have a fresh start. You've got to modernize things. It's got to become first class with a first class guy and give him the keys to a car that nobody else drives. Let him do it. Let him bring the program back. And it'll come back faster than what that article I was reading in the newspaper today it's going to take time. Well, they, this isn't UTEP. This isn't New Mexico State. This is USC. You get the right person in there, and everybody else is going to run and hide. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's it's not a quick fix, but it's not uh, a it's generational a fix. fix. It's a quick fix. People did. I'm not going to give any of those administrators or whoever's saying that if, uh, all these excuses. You put these players in the right position and run the right offense, and put these talent talent there, and get some guys in there that are enforcers that know how to coach on both sides of the football, hey, it's a quick fix. Believe me, it is. Oh, just getting the right guy in there. Quick fix. All right, Coach, I like it. Um, well, let's uh, go to a law. I mean, not a law, sorry. Let's go to a an email. This is from Terry. It says, Ryan, your team... Uh, you and your team do a great job. Keep it up. Gerard made so many huge points on your emergency podcast. He had great insight. Um, and he said, so he wanted me to pick one or for you to look at these coach. Um, as far as the quarterback go, he says you need a, Gerard was talking about needing a quarterback that can nullify big yardage, negative yardage plays or make a play to flip the field. Slovis can't do that, but you know, J- um, Jackson dart can, um, so any thoughts on having a more mobile quarterback coach uh, when Jackson Dart gets gets uh, is available again? Oh, yeah. You know, it's the same old thing, and I'll repeat it again. Whenever you have an athletic quarterback, you have another running back. You have somebody they have to worry about. When you have a quarterback that you don't have to worry about, you know he's going to be all the time, but they don't help him at all. Uh, when, you pass, when you pass the football as much as USC passes the football, then put in a pass offense. Have three types of draws. Have a trap draw, three-step draw, uh, three-step draw, five-step draw, and then also you have the uh, seven-step draw where he is when he gets a snap. You've got to have quick screens. You've got to have screens when they're blitzing. You know they're coming. The back goes sticks out. It goes down the sideline, and there's nobody there to tackle him. You've got to have the complete passing game, and you don't try to kid people. But there's no one rhythm. There's no one philosophy. It's uh, well, you know, you heard me say 31 flavors. Maybe that's becoming a, a great advertisement again for the ice cream company. But uh, I'm just telling you, there's no rhythm and no nothing going on out there. I mean, unless you throw the ball to Drake London and he got a pass interference 
or he goes up and catches the football, what's your offense? Tell me what it is. I don't know. I, I really don't know what it is. And someone's got to draw it up and, you know, and uh, he doesn't want to talk about it or no one there wants to talk about it, but nobody can figure it out. So that's just honestly, when you ask me a question, I've got to tell you, that's what the answer is. It's uh, And defense is not the defense it's supposed to be because it never sees the things it's supposed to see in practice. So, uh, and there, and I, and you know, like I've told you, I don't agree with a lot of where the way the players are playing, where they're playing as far as position wise, but I don't blame that on them. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's see. Let's go to next voice bail. Here you go. Hey, uh, Ryan and, uh, coach, coach Harvey. Hi, this is DJ from, um, Dominican Republic back here stateside and, uh, got a chance to tune in and watch the game a little bit last night. And, uh, from the, from the get go, they were, they were pushing around the D line. The O line was getting manhandled. And, uh, this is more or less a coach, uh, question for Coach Hyde. Cause I always thought in football, you coach see your talent. So if your talent is, you know, tight ends or running backs and you run sets and, you know, to, uh, to optimize those, uh, that talent. And on the defensive side, you want to play the guys, uh, and, and run whatever scheme that's going to be successful, not try to fit the players into your scheme. It's actually vice versa. And I, I'm just really disappointed in both. Uh, defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator because while I know we are lacking, we have a dirt at, at uh, nose tackle. You gotta figure out a scheme that's gonna actually be successful. Washington State did it a few years, couple years back and they had smaller guys on the D line and they were very successful and I think they won nine or ten games that year. It might have been 18 or 19. So there's really no excuse. I, I just wanna know what Coach Harvey Hyde thinks about uh, schematically what we're running on offense and defense and what changes will he make on both sides of the ball? Because right now, can't really blame uh, Coach Dante Williams at this point. He hasn't been head coach long enough. But the coordinators just don't seem to be actually running the schemes that's actually going to optimize our talent level. So I'd like to get your feedback on that. Hopefully we can make some adjustments and salvage the season before it just gets out of hand. All right. Right on. Thanks. Well, uh you know, that's something that you have. You have a certain system, and you recruit to that system. USC used to be called tailback U. I think everybody remembers that. It used to be, uh, we're going to hammer you until you surrender, and then you're going to want to run the clock out so you can get out of the damn Coliseum or wherever you are. Well, they adopted a different philosophy. I don't know. Maybe they thought they were the Air Force Academy that runs a triple option or Navy Academy that runs a triple option or they thought they were Mike Leach at Washington State that was forced to go to that type of offense because, really, he couldn't recruit the same type of players that other people were recruiting, and it worked for him up there because people didn't see it. He used to be the only one that did it, but now all of a sudden SC thinks that's the thing to do under somebody's leadership, and they bring in uh, this air raid attack that everybody I, – I said from the day it came, and, Ryan, you'll remember that I'll say that. <laughs> you'll see that what I'm going to tell you is right. It isn't going to work because it isn't going to work. At USC, USC's fans don't like it. It's boring to watch. Uh, it's not exciting. It's not exciting enough for the people. The band doesn't play enough. The horse doesn't run enough. The traveler, the whole thing, and and it's now become a quarterback. You with receivers, and along the way, they've lost the image of their offensive line and their front guys because those guys used to be dominant with the buddies and 
all the people that have gone through the Munoz, Van Horn, I, I can name them to you, you know who they are, that have gone on as the number one draft choices and just beat you to death, just beat you off the line of scrimmage, just beat you. When you left the game, you wanted to go sit in a whirlpool in those old days or an ice tub. And the defensive line was just as physical and just as good also, but they had to practice against those guys. That wasn't fun. Practice wasn't fun. It wasn't practice when uh, fun. Uh, Pete Carroll made it fun, but when ones goes against ones and twos goes against twos, that's a battle. They get better during the week than they do during the game. So, you know, and the same thing on your defensive side. If you're better than any other team, you can line up in a basic defense and just beat them to death. You don't have to start. You don't have to do anything. You just beat them to death. You put your great defensive ends on the outside like they have Foreman and uh, and this other kid, uh, Jackson, and you say, block them. Block them if you can. And when you watch Jackson, when he comes up the field on a pass rush, when he does that, when they let him do that, he, he, he hurries the quarterback. He doesn't make every tackle, but he hurries him. He disrupts it. He forces it back to the inside. But when you have him dancing with the stars – the Hollywood TV show, when he's standing around when the ball goes away from him or trying to cover somebody, that's hurting your football team. You want your stars in the game. You want them in every play, not half the plays. And you force everybody to, to you know, fear what you're doing. And right now, I don't think people do that. They, they don't have to worry about keeps. They don't have to worry about any type of quarterback athletic running. They don't have to worry about any counters. counters. They don't have to worry about anything. Counter sweeps, nothing. So it's very easy to defense. And the defensive side of the football, I agree with you. Uh, I used to play with little guys at times. You take the talent you have, but at USC you shouldn't have to play with little guys. Leonard Williams and those are the type of guys you should be playing with on the defensive side of the football. Make things happen and play on the offensive side of the football. Right now, basically, uh, they're playing on their side of the line of scrimmage. There's no penetration hardly at all. I didn't see any penetration the other night. Not ever any penetration by the defensive line. Why they were get, they were on roller skates. They used to they they were on roller skates going backwards because the offensive line, the two and three star guys from you from Oregon State, were driving them all the way back. And you know when you look at the score of that game, you know, and you see the penalties, 154 yards that Oregon State had. It's not the number of yards you had on the penalty. It's the number of yards that were taken away from them for the gain on the play. Not only were they penalized 10 yards or 15 yards, but also the gain that they had, the net on the play, they lost. And, uh, you know, and, and of course, uh, all the pass interferences, most of them were right. They called them. They had a tough time covering Drake uh, London and those people, which is to be a tough job for anybody. But, uh, you know, uh, most of USC's offense was pass interference. I hate to say that as far as keeping the drive going and so on. So, you know, you got to be able to believe and coach to what you believe that works for the university where you are and what you can recruit to, and you got to understand what you're trying to do and accomplish when you have that type of talent. You don't recruit two- and three-star guys. You don't take 15 portal guys. You don't do that. You don't need to do that. You've got great guys now like Jackson and the two Jackson receivers, and they, they don't even play. All of a sudden, they went from a chance where they're going to play. They don't even get in the game for it. Because, I mean, these guys, yes, he was injured. I agree. But you've got all these Nixons that came in. and He's not playing anymore. And Washington's a good little receiver. Don't get me wrong. But did you need him? 
Did you really need these guys, guys? The safeties and and lot of, did you really need him? How about the guy from Alabama, the defensive lineman? I don't even hear his name anymore. I don't even know if he's on the team anymore, Ryan. Maybe you know. Yeah, he's, he's still injured. Him? He's still not. Yeah, he's still, still not practicing. Why would you bring a guy from Alabama that has this type of problem? I mean, what are you doing? I mean, uh, by the time he gets well, you're going to get fired. Yeah. Already got fired. <laughs> You know um, what I mean, though. I mean, it's, it's stupidness. What's going on there in the recruiting format and what they're doing? The whole thing's in what you call uh, uh, disarray. It's in disarray for sure. Um, all right, well, we got a bunch more questions. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and get to more of them. Back in a second. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we got Ray in Pasadena wrote in. I'm listening to you guys, and I'll refer to Coach Hyde. He says it over and over. No overall discipline, sideline discipline, an unprepared defense, an offensive coordinator who I don't think uh, really knows his offense. Looking at the sideline during the game, I felt uh, Williams wasn't involved, and I wonder if the higher-ups may have told him um, he's not going to be the head coach no matter what he does. No emotion on the sideline. Who are these people? Uh, who are the people talking to the players? Way too much confusion. All this Coach Hyde has talked about for the last 10 years. The season is a wash. Let's get rid of the entire staff, uh, Ray and Pasadena. Well, Ray, uh, you know, Dante Williams, Coach Williams, is in a very difficult situation. First of all, He's working uh, with the offensive side of the football, and he really doesn't know the offensive side of the football, the language of the offensive side. He doesn't even know what plays are being called and everything else that goes along with it. He can tell him, I want you to run the football more, but, you know, the guy's doing what he wants to do, okay? He might want to tell him to go under center, but the guy's going to do it. But the guy knows that when this season's over, it's history, okay? Uh, he's not going to be around. So guys are starting to look for jobs already, and it's a different type of thing, not that he's not trying to win. But but it's a different type of thing, and and uh, uh, so what was the other part of that question there? Oh, as far as like, um, well, he just said, I'm sorry, let me go back to it. Um, yeah, say it again, because I, somebody just walked by and was trying to talk to me and distracted. <laughs> Why the heck would they would do that? You know. Well, you're you're recording a show, Coach. I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, so yeah. he was just talking about on the sideline. There's way too much confusion. That you talked about this for the last ten years. The season's a wash. Let's get rid of the entire staff. And that's, to me, that's what this is. And and I think Don from Chicago was talking about this. 
you've already cut the head off the snake, right? You've already got rid of Clay Helton, but there was 10 games left. Like you can't get rid of the entire staff two games into the season. It just doesn't make any sense. You cannot like what Graham Harrell's doing. You cannot like what any assistant coach is doing, but you pretty much got to keep the staff together. You let Dante Williams run it. And then for me, coach, this is an, a, um, an audition. This is a resume builder for everyone on the staff. If the defense goes on a tear, Hey, that looks good for Todd Orlando. If the offense somehow starts scoring 50 points a game, hey, that looks good for Graham Harrell. If it's all in disarray, it probably doesn't look good for any of those guys. So I think to me, you don't hire, you're not firing Clay Helton to like bring in someone and keep things the same. You are going to change everything. And you you mentioned this earlier. I talked about this on Tunnel Vision. If the secretary's office was over here, I'm moving it over there. Like I'm changing everything in that building that I can possibly change when the new head coach comes in and let him do whatever the hell he needs to do. And so, yes, you're going to get rid of the entire staff. There's going to be people. I mean, there, some people will be kept, right? Maybe one, maybe two, maybe three. Maybe it's up. It's going to be up to the new head coach, but the new head coach has to come in and change everything. And I think that's what Ray's point is. And I, that's what I agree with. No, you're right, Ray. You, you know, here's what it is. You can't, uh, if you're going to marry a program, you can't tell him who he's going to marry and uh, how many kids he's going to have and all this stuff. Thing. I used to, I've always said that uh, the biggest decision for uh, a young student athlete is uh, where he decides to go to school for his future and also uh, who he marries because that's future too. So I'm going to stay out of those type of things. But, you know, it's the same thing. You've seen this coming. We've seen it coming, but the administration has not had the uh, they're worried about the payoff rather than they're worried about the big picture. Okay, let's be honest with you. They're worried about how much do they owe Clay Helton? How much do they owe the staff? Well, it just got worse and worse and worse. The uh, the cancer spread. Okay, I hate to use that term. That's a terrible term to use. But that's basically what it did. All the way on down, they change the nutritionist. They do this. They do that. That that doesn't do it. They knew what the problem was at the very beginning. Uh, and they made a mistake. Pat Hayden did that. Uh, Peyton had, Pat Hayden made a lot of mistakes, and I'm sure that a lot of you are friends of Pat Hayden, but uh, you can't put people in the positions that uh, think they know that don't know. I told that, that statement a little bit earlier. And uh, Lynn Swan signing to an extension. I don't understand that, but I know he had to move to Atlanta after he did it. So, you know, not that he didn't like Atlanta, but uh, he didn't want to hear all the stuff that's going on about that. And uh, so who knows? And Mike Garrett couldn't take it anymore, so he moved to Kansas. I think the best way, and you look at where Carson Palmer is, he couldn't stand anymore. He moved to Idaho. <laughs> and, and, you, and you look around and you see how many players. Now, you go to practice, right? And I go, how many former players do you see at practice? Now, you tell me, how many former players, the all the Brad Buddies, the Ron Yerries, who live in this area? I know they all live here. I know where they live. I talked to them on the phone. Tell me something. How many of those guys do you see at practice? Who? Yeah, not. It's not been a lot lately, for sure, Coach. Not, not for a lot for a long period of time. But they don't want them there, number one, because they bring the past up, and they don't treat them right. They don't treat the former players right. They don't treat the former, the donors right. They don't treat the people right that have built USC and they need to do that. They've got to learn that it's not a privilege to donate. These guys came to USC. They made USC. 
They're part of USC. They've got bad knees because of USC. They got bad necks because of USC. They love USC. The fans love USC. And those people have got to remember, but every single one of these people that right now are in key positions at USC have never worn the cardinal and gold or never remembered Julie's or the, 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 the different type of places that people hung out. So, you know, it's, this is what people are talking about, uh, the past and what the past is all about. And you're too young to understand that. But I do. And the big donors do because those are the guys that were here then. So, you know, I mean, this is just the same old story. Like we get these calls from all over the world and so on. These guys remember those days. These guys remember when tailgating was an event, man. It was an event. It was who's going to outdo who and these different things. And it started and went all day and no one wanted to leave the Coliseum because they left with pride. Nobody left the Coliseum early. Nobody. Why? They wanted to see the entire event on how bad they were going to beat their opponent. Now people say, well, what time are you leaving tonight? Because all the games start at 7.45, 7.30, because they don't put them on prime time anymore, because that shows you the networks don't even want them. The entire Pac-12. So figure it out, folks. All right, Coach, we got another voicemail for you. Let me play it. Coach Hart, you are the one. You are the smartest. Boy, I wish you were the coach at USC. I ain't kidding. Now, concerning changes, why forget about raw raw speeches. Dante Williams should make big changes, like uh, benching Taj Washington, for example. Just order Harold to bench Taj Washington, or order Orlando to play Corey Foreman and uh, Drake Jackson as opposite three techniques, just like uh, Bobby B- uh, Biden. Uh, uh, Bobby Biden, the Florida State famous coach, used to say, my DNs, they don't read nothing. They just clock the enemy quarterback and make his IQ drop 50 points. We got the the talent to do that, I think. Now, you tell me where I'm wrong on that. I'm I'm not as sophisticated as uh, I would like to be. But make big changes, huge changes. And because uh, what have we got to lose? Fight on. Well, you know, I think we're discussing that. and We're talking about that. And, and Dante's limited on what he can do because he's got an offensive coordinator that was there. And he's not going to listen to what he tells him to do anyway. He might suggest it. And then he's got a defensive coordinator who he used to work for. And he used to coach the defensive backs. And now he's assigned someone else to coach the defensive backs. And he's got another guy coaching the linebackers so Todd Orlando can walk around and he's on the sideline trying to just muster the things that uh, he thinks that are important as far as sideline control and everything else he's flustered you watch him during the game he's very flustered uh he, he you know he, he's not talking or communicating with the coaches if you notice his headset the speaker portion of it is always up he doesn't communicate much with anyone but that young gentleman in the white shirt who stands next to him during the game. Uh, he's not communicating much with the coaches, which is fine, as as long as the coaches are doing what he told them to do. But if they're not doing what he told them to do, then you could communicate with them. But obviously you can tell he hasn't told them what to do because 
they're on their own, and he's sort of administrating the program. He's playing the role of the head football coach right now. And it's a difficult thing to do because he's learning on the job. He's a good kid. He's a good recruiter. But he's learning on the job. And it's in, it's in a difficult time for him as far as when you learn on a job at USC and on national TV, that's not easy. And you're not winning. He's trying to say the right things in all the press conferences. He's very, uh, you know, very polite and all of those things. But he doesn't. It's the first time he's done that. And people are throwing questions at him. And so it's it's very difficult. And you're right about the defensive ends or the defensive side of the football. You want guys playing over there that cause havoc that people don't want to play against. That when they block, uh, when you're making an offensive game plan, you're saying, now how are we going to block those guys? Who do we have that's going to block those guys coming up the field? And they have two guys that can do that. They have two guys that can do that. Play a base inside and do that. And when you do stunt or do whatever you do, you come up the middle and those two guys are still coming up so they force everything back to them. So everything's forced to be a quick type of passing game or whatever, but you're not. You're going to be looking at the stars. I used to say our greatest goal is to have the quarterback look at the stars. And that means he's on his back. So, you know, you you got to be careful, though, today with the, you know, the rule changes as far as hitting those guys. And I understand because all the guys are bigger and faster and stronger. And if I had a son that was a quarterback, I want him protected, too. But uh, the game is called football. And the game is a physical game. And uh, they've taken a lot of that out of that. But that doesn't mean you can't play a physical type of football. And right now, USC is not playing a physical type of football. Agree with you there, Coach. Uh, Mark in the Inland Empire says, Good morning, Coach and Ryan. After yesterday's performance, actually the last three games, has anyone thought that the talent USC has is just not that good? I keep hearing they're great athletes, but being a great athlete is not the same as being a good football player. Both defensive and offensive lines are getting their butts whipped every game, including that kid that wants to go uh, to the not-for-long league NFL. I think the kids are playing up to their potential. Uh, love to hear you and Coach Hyde's thoughts, Mark, in the IE. Well, you know, you've heard me talk about this. You know, they've got running backs. Uh, but they're running backs that are – I don't see any speed running backs. I don't see any. I'll tell you right now, I take that back from Oregon State or any, over any back that USC has currently right now. And who recruited him? I mean, that kid was tough. You give him the ball every single time, he's gonna, you're going to fall backwards. Didn't have great speed. But you knew one thing, he was going to hammer you. I'm going to tell you, you better be ready. At the end of the game, you don't want to tackle him anymore. I don't want to tackle that guy anymore. Look out. I'm going to do a lookout block. I'm going to look the other way. And the way their offensive line came off the football, they they were doing pancake blocks. They were driving guys back, like I said, like they're on roller skates. Uh, I think that they've dropped their level of the offensive line. But again... How do they coach the offensive line? And do they ever get on the sleds, on the seven-man sled, and drive people off the football and and do it time after time after time after time and not alternate people just until the guy can't stop because he's going to be on the field that long during the drive, and the defensive player is too. So you've got to get to understand that you're not going to die if you run 15 plays in a row or whatever it takes to win. And again, too, uh, that's not their philosophy. If you if you know their blocking schemes and you watch their blocking schemes, it's not to fire off the football. And if you watch the running game schemes, the series and so on that are there, you saw them run a couple of two-back sets and you saw them run the scissor series 
one time, and they threw the ball out to the flat, and I think it was Ingram that caught the ball, made about 30 yards, so don't run it again. They just forget about the play. But again, they try to play-action pass off all those things, but they can't get the running game go. What does a play-action pass mean to you if you can't run the football? You might as well just stand back there and throw it. Because nobody cares, but you can't run the football, or you don't hold them on the backside, or you don't carry out your fakes, and I call it lazy football. I wouldn't stand for that. But again, the offensive coordinator doesn't necessarily feel that's what's necessary with his offense. I always hear, go out and have fun. Let's go out and have fun. Just do what we regularly do. Let's go out and have fun. Well, I don't think they have too much fun. <laughs> and I, I don't. When people criticize their stats and criticize the penalties and criticize the numbers and, and so on and time of possession, the way the other team takes it away, that's two weeks in a row now they've rushed for under 100 yards. That's because he, they just don't do that. They, that's not in their philosophy. It's throw the ball up in the air to London, hope you get a pass interference or he makes a big play on it. Kind of what he catches 10, 15, 14. Every game he's going to be a great receiver, and he is. But you've got more than one player on your football team, and you've got to take advantage of that uh, when you have great talent. I think they, they have pretty good talent. And I think those offensive linemen – can become what you call guys that uh, will get angry and bleed from the arm, bleed from the nose, bleed if you teach them that, because that's what the that's what the front guys do. That's who they are. If you don't have a broken nose, you haven't played football. In the old days, everybody could tell who you were, but you had a broken nose, crooked nose. Today, if you get a bloody nose, they take you out of the game. I mean, it's a different game, but I tell you, you teach, they're going to play the way you teach. The environment that you're in makes who you are. You call it surviving. And they want to survive. If you want to survive at USC and do those type of things and those type of programs, that's why you're good. And uh, and I think USC, I don't, I, when people say it can't be a quick fix, they don't know what's going on or they don't know USC as far as what USC is all about. They just don't know. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, we got another voicemail. Let me play this one for you, Coach. Hi, Ryan and Coach Hyde. This is Joan Levis in Dana Point. I just have one question after the game on uh, Saturday night. Um, really sad. I am just feel so badly for the players. It looks like they really are playing high school football. They're running around confused and at any rate um my question is coach Hyde is there anything that Dante Williams can do uh to bring this team together and save this season that you see that could be could help the team come together and fix the problems thanks so much bye Don well, you know, uh, I think that, uh, like we mentioned, uh, uh, he, he'll try to, but I think right now it's cast in stone what they're going to run on defense and what they're going to run on offense. And if they're just better and they get lucky and they, they get a team that uh, – remember, I, I said it last week, I think it was on this podcast, the Pac-12's not very good, okay? And the, the, when you look at the Pac-12 and, you know, even Oregon, you know, they struggled against Arizona last weekend. They had a big win, but everybody's talking about the big win they had at Ohio State, but I'm not sure how good Ohio State was at that time. So 
you he yeah you could win all your games. Now UCLA bounce back. That would be that's a tussle every year anyway. It doesn't make any difference. But it, you know you look at the schedule and you say who can't you beat? Really, Notre Dame's not a uh, something that's uh, scary. Notre Dame is is a good football team, fundamentally square, and Brian Kelly knows what he's trying to accomplish, and they get better every week because they don't change what they're doing, and they're getting better as they go along. But as far as everybody else, when you look at that, they can beat anybody on their schedule, and they can lose every game on their schedule too, okay? So I think what everybody's looking at, let's get through this year. Let's don't embarrass ourselves more than what we necessary. Let's win the type of games we're going to win. And then let's change this thing. And I think that's what's going to have to happen. And the players have to understand that. But the players got to remember they got to play hard for their pride and what they're going to be remembered for. Yeah. As a player, you always remember in your mind, did I give up? Did I give up on my teammates? And that's what I would be selling. Guys, we're going to go out there. We're going to take the beaches. We're going to do what we can do. Even if we have, we don't have a lot of ammo, okay? But we're going to fight with our bayonets. And and this is exactly what you have to do as far as with young kids, as far as desire, and understand we're all caught up in this. You're caught up in this. We are caught up as this. It's the coaches. So let's go out and let's get it done because it just didn't happen today. This has been going on. And you've heard me way back talk about after the games when the teams are in the locker room and players are still sitting in the stands and what What is going on here? I mean, the coach is probably talking to the team. I used to call the team a locker room and talk about the performance. And they, they don't even have all the team in the locker room. People didn't see this. Administrators didn't see this. What are you talking about? Don't pass the buck. You're all a part of it. Everybody is a part of that that runs that department and allowed this to happen, including the president and everybody else who goes to those football games. Otherwise, they shouldn't be president or they should have somebody doing it that knows something about it. Yeah. We got our buddy Rodney Strong, uh, retired from the U.S. Army, Sergeant Strong. He said, Saturday was an eyesore to watch. We've done some good things, but also done some things that remind me of Clay Helton's reign. Uh, to me, this loss isn't on Dante Williams. It shows that our whole culture is screwed up and that something – that will take Coach Williams more than a couple weeks to fix. What do you guys think? Do you think this is game is more a reflection of the Clay Helton culture uh, that's been with our program the past six seasons? Thanks for all you do. Can't wait to listen to your weekly messages, Sergeant Strong. Uh, real quick, uh, yeah, like this is this is Clay Helton's team, and it's been his team, and everything that was been built in the last six years is not going to be tore down in a week. And I'm not saying. Donnie Williams is the right guy to do that. I mean, they just they came out and, and got smoked. Um, you know, if he ran and won all his games and people wanted to talk about him being the next head coach, fine. But, but that's that's off the table now. You have to bring in somebody from the outside, somebody that's really good at their job, and come in and install the kind of culture that can be a winning football culture. And that's not what Clay Helton had. So, yes, I don't think this is going to be fixed overnight. The only way this is going to get fixed is – after the season, when you bring in uh, a new head coach, that's my thoughts. But what do you think, Coach? 
Well, yeah, I've been saying that all along, you know, and I don't blame Clay Elton because uh, Pat Hayden gave him the job and made he made probably twenty, thirty million dollars on this job. So why would you blame him? It's the people that hired him and put him in in that position that made the mistake. Was he the person that should have been there as far as the head football coach? And when they found out he wasn't and it wasn't the right culture, then you can't renew his contract. And you can't give him an extension. So whose fault is that? Is that Clay Helms? Hell no. It's the people that get it. And you think that Lynn Swan did that on his own? Hell no. You don't think that had to go to the president's office? You don't think the regents had to vote on that? Hell yes. So, you know, it's not just, it's not really Clay Helms. I would be doing the same thing. If I didn't know what I was doing, if I was a doctor killing people and people were paying me and nobody cared, then what do you do? Which just continued to linger, and it continued to go on. And the excuse was, "Oh, it costs too much to pay it off. His package is too big." That's not. That's not. Don't give me that. If football is important to you, you correct the problem, and you correct it immediately. If someone's bleeding to death, like the program, do you leave it? Let it just die? And it's almost was dead. After the Stanford game, why? And then all of a sudden now they're giving it transfusions as far as trying to get it back. So people will be happy and people will say good things. Hey, yeah, you know, that's not just Clay Helton's fault. I mean, it's everybody's fault at the university that allowed it to get to that point. Agree with the coach. Um, all right. We've got a couple more and we'll let you go. So this one, I've been talking about James Franklin as a potential coach, and I think I wrote some stuff in the war room about it. Um, just for context, Vanderbilt as a program has been ranked three times at the end of the season since in the last 130 years. Three times been ranked. Twice was was under James Franklin, who coached there for three years. Um, he's proven that he can turn programs around. He's done some really good things at Penn State. It's not been perfect for sure. Um, but this is someone that there's a lot of USC fans coach that don't like James Franklin. And it seems mostly because Penn state lost to Clay Helton and USC head to head in the Rose bowl in 2017, but I'll play this voicemail for you and then get your thoughts on James Franklin as a potential candidate. Coach Hyde, love your insights and opinions on this podcast. I know you won't bad mouth other coaches, but please, please. Explain to Ryan that a coach with a 64 and 28 record at a name university who last year was preseason number seven, then lost their first five games is not NOT the pilot for Air Force One. He also lost to Helton in the Rose Bowl. He had integrity issues at Vanderbilt, which I won't spell out. But we don't need more mediocre. We need elite. Number two, why is no one mentioning the fact that Luke Fickle lost their bowl game through awful clock management at the end of the game? I know Coach Hyde saw it. Snapping the ball with 14, 15 seconds left on the play clock and giving JT Daniels just enough time to get the winning score. Chris Peterson never had a top 50 recruiting class at Boise State. Look at his record and what he did, accomplished. That's who should have been hired instead of Sark. Stephen P.A. 
Well, uh, first of all, uh, I didn't know that Ryan is pushing James Franklin. I'm not pushing Uh, James Franklin. I'm just saying that people that say, well, he lost to Clay Hilton, so we can't consider him. I just think that's stupid. Well, uh, no, well, if, yeah, I would say that's not a reason you, why, why you hire him and don't hire him. First of all, I don't think he'd want to leave Penn State. I think he's using it as agent as a way of getting more money. You know, they get 105 or 108,000 people there, and whiteouts are unbelievable. Why would you want to leave Penn State? I mean, uh, think about it. Uh, uh, only because it's USC, and you hear me talk about it, if he was interested, it's his agent talking about it. Because uh, it's USC, and there's not many people who have the opportunity of living at Santa Monica, Manhattan Beach, and having the great weathers and so on. Uh, and if you've ever been to Penn State, and I've been there, there's only one way out, one way in, a two-lane road, and and uh, we couldn't fly in there to Happy Valley. We had to fly into where? Pittsburgh and drive up when I was doing the game of the week. And... Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't see bringing an East Coast guy that far east into Southern California. I don't. He'd have to learn what the 710 means. He'd have to learn what six, what is 605. He'd have to have somebody take him around and introduce him to what it's all about. He doesn't have any background or understand what USC is all about. Okay? Same old story. So, yes, he'd be a great coach, and he's done a great job where he is, but that's where he should be. So, and uh, I, as far as others are concerned, I've, you've heard me say, and I said this last week, Mario Cristobal is at Oregon, but, you know, and they pay him well, Phil Knight pays him well, but he'll win a national championship quicker at USC than he will at Oregon. He knows the West Coast. He knows everybody. If, he, if he's And if he wants to win a national championship, then why wouldn't you be at USC if you want to live in the rainy weather and do that, then that's fine. Live up there and get paid well. But, you know, uh, so I'd go after him real hard because he knows everybody and he'll bring his recruiting class with him, okay? And he recruits and runs an offense and gets great offense and defensive linemen. And then I think that uh, Luke Fickle, Fickle at, at Cincinnati's uh, interviewing this week against uh, Notre Dame, I think that's his interview because when you look at that, you'd say, if a guy can beat Notre Dame from Cincinnati, he might be able to beat Notre Dame from USC, I would think. But is he a West Coast guy? Does he want to pick up his kids that are in college there and move them out to Southern California? His kids are in high school, junior high school. Maybe they're younger and move them out here to the West Coast and do that. I don't know. I don't really know. And I know he's a friend of Mike Bone, but I'm not sure that if they got along when he was at Cincinnati. So we don't know the background. You know, maybe they didn't get along. Uh, Maybe they won a lot of games, and that didn't mean they get along. And then, you know, you forget about Urban Meyer. You forget about that name, but nobody else does. Maybe he doesn't like the NFL. You know, Lou Holtz didn't like the NFL, went back to all these universities and did a great job, Notre Dame and everything else. And and yeah, and also Nick Saban didn't like the NFL in Miami, so where'd he go? He went back to Alabama, and he's done pretty good. So because you have 25 first-round draft choices when you're recruiting, you only have one in the NFL. And, you know, I, I look at people, yeah, there's Chris Peterson, there's Matt Campbell, but I don't think Matt Campbell uh, is Southern California, uh, what's that, you know, what, would fit Southern California very well. I think he's good at where he is. 
And I think a guy that played in the Coliseum the other night, Jonathan Smith, had a hell of an interview. He went to Glendora High School. He walked on at Oregon State, got a scholarship, beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, was the offensive coordinator at Washington with Chris Peter, became the head coach at Oregon State, went back there. And uh, he's 3-1 and one currently right now and building the program and came to Southern California and interviewed last Friday in the Coliseum with an offense that USC should be running, okay? So I thought that's a pretty strong interview. So you've got some pretty good candidates. Dan Mullins at Florida. He's a heck of a coach. Uh, he might be interested. So I would let anybody know. I'd go after the best coaches in the country, but this is USC. Now you're not going to get Nick Saban, and you're not going to get Guy, and you're not going to get those guys. But I'd certainly let them know that this is what we're after. We're not after somebody that uh, nobody else wanted. We're after somebody that everybody wants. And I think that was what you need. And I don't know if the college president wants it that bad. Because his name would be bigger than her name. And I've been under that situation too, okay? I've been under that situation when I coached at UNLV and when Jerry Tarkanian would walk into a, a restaurant and I was with him and the college president was with us. The first person that was seated in the restaurant was Tarkanian. The second person that was seated was me. Not that I deserved it, but we did win a lot of football games with Randall Cunningham, Mickey Woods and those guys. And the third guy was seated was the president. And then he, he, he didn't really like that. He didn't really like that. And sometimes you have an image problem as far as your football coach, like Bo Schimbrecker or Woody Hayes. Hey, they were bigger. They didn't know who the president was. You can't even ask a football fan of the 100,000 people maybe in a state, what's the president's name at Ohio State? Or what's the president? It was Woody Hayes' school. And a lot of these people don't want that. I don't know the president's name at Oregon. Do you? I'll ask all you guys out there. You know the president's name at UCLA? Do you know the president's name? All these different schools? No. And a lot of these guys went to the same seminar where they don't like somebody stronger than we are in, as far as part of the faculty. So they've got a problem with that. And I'm just telling you the truth because I've been through it, okay? I get you, Coach. Um, you've been through it. You've been through it all, and uh, we appreciate that and getting your thoughts on all this. Uh, real quick, from some of the points you made. Okay, last year's a COVID year, dude. You want to you talk about people losing games uh, when guys are opted out and stuff like that. You're not going to say, oh, they start off 0-5. Well, they won their last four games or whatever. Um, as far as being elite, not mediocre, with Luke Fickle, like they were playing Cincinnati. Did you hear what the... You know, South Carolina coach, you know, Cincinnati is a group of five team and they were toe for toe with Georgia in the bowl game. An SEC team last week was saying, yeah, we got pushed around. Look at their guys. They're 320 pound guys that run four or fives and they're all four and five star players. Like basically saying they have so much talent. There's no way we're going to compete. Well, Cincinnati competed with them. That's pretty impressive for Luke Fickle. And yeah, I like Chris Peterson a lot, but you want to compare his record and say, well, he won 100 games at Boise State. He also wasn't playing Ohio State and Michigan and Iowa every week. So that's what Penn State's doing. And they still won the Big Ten. And that's why they got the chance to to play in the Rose Bowl that year. So some of the stuff, uh, not real fan of what some of the people are saying about the coach and stuff. But, you know, we'll just that's just my thoughts. Everyone can have their own opinion. 
And then we got one last one for you, Coach Frank in Sacramento. Why would the best coaches in the country not line up to take the USC job? There is no competition. Herm Edwards will soon be fired. Mario Cristobal will soon move east. Washington has no coach. Washington State has a nut coach. And Stanford has a stubborn man at the helm. The Pac-12 is butt, and the new USC coach could recruit and win and kill and dominate the conference. Why beat your head against the wall in the SEC or the Big Ten? Frank in Sacramento, what do you think, Coach? Well, Frank, I think uh, our whole podcast today has been that as far as what the strength of USC is and what the tradition is of USC. And USC can get any type of football coach they want, but do they want that? And and I think that's where they have to make the decision. Does Mike Bone want that? Uh, Does he want to to have that type of uh, powerful guy in his department? Because most of these powerful guys are going to say, I work only for the straight to the president and, and, and you know, or, or uh, you know, and, and really if I'm an athletic director, I'm going to hire the type of guy where I don't have to worry about what the hell's going on in the football program. Okay. I'm going to do my job. I'm fundraising. I go to the events. I show up. I entertain the alumni. I don't hide. I mean, I'm walking around because the program's great. I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing. I don't want to go to practice. I don't want to worry about the football program. I just want to go and, and count the donations, and the president's happy because admissions are up, and donations are up, and development, and everything else. So why wouldn't you want this type of individual? I mean, I coached the Japan Bowl one year, and uh, uh, Doug Flutie was on the West East team, and I and the Boston College coach was coaching against us, and and I forget who else the other staff was, but. Uh, he told me when we were in Japan that the admissions, the applications of Boston College, because of the national exposure that Flutie brought to the university, doubled the amount of applications to go to that school that they had had at any time. Just because of the exposure and the excitement that this football team brought Boston College. Well, it's the same thing that they get from the football programs and the number of buildings they own and the rent they get and all the different things. It's the exposure of what your football program and your other programs bring the university with school pride, the cheering and the country club discussions and the colors they wear. How many people out there are wearing USC uniforms, Ryan? I mean, Ryan, you're a USC guy and everybody that's listening is mostly all USC people. You see a lot of hats, USC? Not as many lately, no, yeah. Okay, well, that's that's the feeling then, see? You know, that, that's the feeling right now. So that's what you have to look at. The pride of a university is developed through its extracurricular activities, having the best band, having the best everything, having the best football game. What's homecoming? Why do they have parents weekend when there's a football game? Why do they have homecoming when there's a football game? Why? There's a reason. Brings everybody together to party and brag and go to the football game. So that's got to be pretty excited. You want to bring everybody on campus, get beat 50 nothing, and everybody boom, go home? Well, that's basically what's been going on. Just makes sense. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. And uh, thanks for all the questions, and thanks for uh, sharing all your insights. And we went a little long today, but there was a lot to, <laughs> a lot to do, uh, a lot to get to. But thanks for uh, hanging with us, Coach. Oh, thank you. I tell you, I want to remind everybody, too, that on Sunday mornings at uh, 10 a.m. on AM 830, I do a Sunday morning show called College Football Preview and Review. 
with Chuck Hayes and myself. And if you want to get a little bit of the Trojans, Bruins, and college football, you can listen to that show, uh, 10 a.m., Sunday mornings, a.m. 8.30. And you can follow me, at Coach RV Hyde, at Coach RV Hyde, and I'll tell you when I'm on everything I'm doing. Yeah, check him out on Twitter. He tweets after every quarter. Uh, thoughts uh, about what's going on during the USC games and, of course, other stuff going on as well. But, uh, all right, that's going to wrap things up. That is the Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.